You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to episode number three of the Batman Book Club, a podcast that explores the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. You can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at TheBatmanBC. You can also email for questions, comments, reviews, recommendations, or anything Batman at TheBatmanBC at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan. Lauer spelled like lower. Today, we're continuing this exploration into the early years of Batman's career by revisiting the classic Batman Dark Victory. But I can't do this alone, or at least I could, but it wouldn't be interesting. So I reached out to Mr. Freeze's Frozen Tundra in Minnesota and asked Garrett Grev to join me. Well, hello, Garrett. Hey, Ryan. Yes, that's that's great. This would Mr. Freeze would probably do just fine in Minnesota. It'd be very, very comfortable for him, at least this time of year. At least this time we do get warm and humid. Ooh, right. When does right. that begin? But, uh, typically, oh, there's a very brief window between, uh, I think, mid-July to middle of August that it's very nice and warm. <laughs> and you know, summers are just fine, but they <sighs> they are only about three months long. And then winter, comparatively, is about six months long Ugh. with very short springs and falls. But yeah. Yep. Mr. Freeze. That's, you, a, that's very good. You are the and, you know, if we're talking about uh, who who can do what alone um or if you should have a partner to make things more interesting uh this is the book to talk about i guess right you know what it is wow well said well that's the episode so we're not we've peaked so thanks for joining me Garrett. all right we'll see you later <laughs> we'll talk to you later uh we've ju- we've known each other for a while now um through the major connective tissue of batman on film absolutely Yep, it's uh, you know, we've if um, if you're listening to this, and I'm guessing if you are, you are a very big Batman fan. Maybe you've listened to the Batman on Film podcast before, where you know Ryan and I have had the pleasure of recording a number of episodes uh, over the past you know year, year and a half. So this is uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to just do a do a dynamic duo sideshow here together. It sure is. Kick the other useless ones to the curb. Like, no, this is us. <laughs> this is us. These other fools. But now I've had many, many late nights, uh, later than oh, we expected. So um, late. Followed by early mornings. <laughs> so early. So much earlier than, than uh, feeling even earlier than they really were. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's what happens with Batman. I mean, you talk yep. Batman with other Batman nerds. It's it's going to go on forever. Yeah. Uh, before before we... Fall down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we start with Dark Victory, I want to make it a thing of asking everybody like what's your favorite batman story oh man <clears throat> favorite batman story bill asked me this on a on a one of the batman on film vlogs and i think i think i'm gonna because it's story i'll stay the same and i think it's the man who falls um mm. just because i think it's such a really um nice neat well-packaged well-crafted uh, approach to sort of the backstory of Batman and um, modernized the story a bit and added some mythos and sort of collected it all in one, one pretty cool package when it came out. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's it. Now, if you were to say, you know, Batman tale ongoing, that might be a different answer. Um, but if it's just one singular story uh, in the way it's presented, I'd say it's the man who falls. Mm. So how can you read that? Do you have any idea? Oh, you know what? I think right now you can get it on the DC uh, Universe app. Wow, um, I didn't know this. Yeah, uh, if you go down to the comics area, um, I believe it's there. The place that I have, um, I think I have kind of a funny copy of it. It came, a copy of it, like a little mini comic of it came out in uh, where Batman you're going. Begins. Yep. Right? When, say- when Begins came out on on dvd like the collector's edition dvd uh-huh it was packaged with that and it's you know classic denny o'neill and um it, it, and, you know looking at you know how batman begins told the origin story and sort of packaged a lot of the mythos nicely and took a different approach to it i thought it was a smartly chosen 
uh, book to sort of include with that packaging. Yeah, I think I've said the word package a lot, pa- <laughs> a lot in the last uh, two and a half. It's, it's a drinking game for this one. Uh, that was the only time that I'd come across it, and I read it. Um, it was with Batman Begins, and then I shame on me that I don't know whatever happened to it. And then I've always tried to track it down, and I can't find any collections that have it or or anything. So I've I've always I've wanted to reread it because. They, exactly for the reason that you, like you just said, like it being your, your favorite story. And I remember reading it and thinking, Oh my gosh, this is Batman begins. Like, uh, so yeah, DC universe saves the day. Yeah, I believe so. And if, um, it was released in 2007 in a trade, um, it was called Batman secrets of the Batcave. Um, so I don't think that's in publication now, but you can probably find it on Amazon or, you know, hunt through a used bookstore or something like that. Um, uh, but you can find it in there too. Hallelujah. So, Dark Victory, the follow-up to the to my favorite Batman story, The Long Halloween, was a 13-issue series released from December of 1999, survived Y2K, and it continued all the way through the year 2000. Um, 13 issues, they released a, an issue number zero, like kind of prologue, I think in November of that year, or 99. Um, and since then, it's been collected in hardcovers, trade paperback, it's digital, it's all of them are on DC Universe, uh, and also the the Absolute Edition, which is my my favorite version. And so in rereading this, I read it through the Absolute Edition. How did you read it? So I, I read it the first time in uh, trade paperback collection. I think it was it came out in like 2003 pretty shortly after um you know the the series mm-hmm. wrapped. I think that was the first time it was collected. And I've had that one um I had that one for years and actually I think it got lost in a move at some point. Um and I repurchased a copy of it, man, I don't know, maybe 8 9 years ago. You can tell cuz it has a different DC logo on it. Um mm-hmm. and I've had this one ever since. I've thought I've, I've thought a couple times about upgrading to the absolute editions of, of this and a couple, but then I feel like I'm, I get to be such a completist. I might not know when to stop. And um, it's a dangerous I, game. I, yeah. I'd spend all my money. Uh, my wife would be like, why do we have so many copies of, <laughs> of these, these silly tight men that you like and <laughs> multiple copies of the same books. Um, so yeah, this has been my trusty copy and I think I've got, um, I for sure have one complete run of the issues that I've gone back and, and patched wow. together. I think I might have two in my, my boxes, um, that are, that are tucked away in either my closet or my storage room. So I should probably sort through those. Well done. The absolutes. I made sure to limit myself that if I was going to enter that game, it was strictly just like Batman stories and then Watchmen. But, uh, Kind of like Funkos. Funkos, I've I've stuck to. If I'm ever going to get a Funko, it has to be Batman in a suit, and that's it. You know, Funkos, your favorite thing. Sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just saying the other day. You know, I don't. I haven't gotten in on Funkos. Um, I think some of them are pretty cute. Like, oh yeah, look at that little guy. That's yeah. adorable. Um, but I feel like kind of the same way. I've I've got to watch myself with what I get into collecting because. Um, you know, just like Batman conversations, once you get down the yeah. rabbit hole, it's pretty hard to claw your way back out. You definitely must check yourself before you wreck yourself. Otherwise, you <clears throat> you end up with a <laughs> He-Man of the Masters of the Universe collection like I have that's almost too large to sort through you at this what? point. <laughs> so, Nothing wrong. Yep. Nothing wrong yep. with I that. know the feeling. So Dark Victory itself, the story, hmm, it's, it's a follow-up to The Long Halloween. Um, I think a wonderful follow-up in that it continues it does what a sequel should and it continues the story of of the characters from the from the original um in short summarizing whoever's listening has probably read it uh there's another there's another killer um but he's this time the killer is targeting targeting police officers every month and it just so happens to fall on holidays each month but at the scene of the murders is left a little a file from the desk of Harvey Dent, as well as drawn in blood or red paint, um, the hangman game. And it's left secret messages. 
kind of implying that maybe this is Harvey Dent, who at this point is, to start the story, is locked up in Arkham Asylum. And the story also continues the, the fallout of The Long Halloween and how Gordon and Batman are dealing with dealing with their breakup of their of their team and then at the end how that relates to bringing in this this young child named Dick Grayson. I think that sums up the story. And it wasn't great a great one, but I think that kind of sums it up. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, you've got it. I think that's and there's I mean, and this is a dense book. I mean it's thick. Yeah. There's a lot that goes on here and it's there's a lot of a sort of um, side plots and uh, mm-hmm. I think you did a very fine overview because you could you could go deep, but overviews aren't the place Over, to go yeah. deep. So well done, well done, Lauer. They they did it. I think the the team of uh, Loeb and Sale, which obviously with how how successful the Long Halloween was, as is with anything in entertainment. Of okay, when's the sequel? They followed a yeah, very more of that, please. Yeah, they followed a similar pattern in. I think the baseline is, you know what? Another murder mystery. There's a killer at hand taking out people. There's the baseline. Don't know who it is. That's your draw. And then just kind of start adding layers from there and connecting the dots. Yeah, I think um, so. If you think about what readers were looking for when this came out, like Long Halloween, huge hit, you know, was was wildly successful and popular and got all sorts of, you know, press coverage, even outside of, you know, your wizard magazine at the time. Like This was something that the general public was more aware of, um, which isn't, you know, we don't always get that, you know, in in comic book uh, geek verse. You get your uh, death of Superman. Um, I don't know, maybe you get n- Nightfall and then no, no one in sort of the larger media hears about or cares about a comic storyline for years and years and years and years and years and then the long halloween actually it popped up on some bestsellers lists and must read lists that weren't just focused on on uh, comic books so a sequel was going to happen for sure and sort of continuing that that thought of you know what worked really well let's do more of that um but my favorite thing about this book is it does you know so much more than just kind of continue on the the thematic devices or plot devices of its predecessor it really really digs in some really interesting ways that i'm sure we'll get into mm-hmm. yeah so it's obviously bring back brings back returning characters of batman gordon um we see harvey dent slash two-face uh some we see selena kyle and catwoman come back we see sophia I, I always pronounce it Gigante. I don't know if that's correct. I think it's Gigante. Gigante. I think it's uh, Sophia Gigante. I don't know. Falcon. Right. Um, she plays a much bigger role than she did in the the previous story. Um, Alberto plays. I don't know if I'd say he plays a bigger role because in Long Halloween he didn't know how big a role he was until the end. Um, but I'd say he plays he plays a bigger role. And then, of course, you get the the rogues, the rogues gallery hopping in, and then it's the yeah. the in, the new characters that are brought in. So I don't believe uh, it was mentioned in the Long Halloween of the Maroni boys. They come into right. No, they go ahead. Yeah, they're 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 new. They're new here. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, it's them and uh, Carla Vitti from the Long Halloween. Her daughter. Her daughter comes in, but she doesn't really play much of a factor. Um, the two biggest, to me, new characters that have the biggest impact are the new DA, Janice Porter, and then the forgotten son, Mario Falcone. Yeah, it's... Um... I think that they're... And, and it's not revealed in a sense of how much those two come together until towards the end of the story, which kind of you don't realize until then. And I didn't realize until rereading it and just finishing it up today of their deal relationship and such. And like how that, that connects the dots from previous issues in the story all along. Yeah. You, <clears throat> the, what the, what the book does really well, I think is, um, 
it makes you wait. You kind of have to, and that's been a criticism of this book in certain places is that, you know, it moves a little slow or it's not as, you know, the big beats don't come as quickly as they did in the long Halloween, but that sort of long game plan, you know, the payoff comes late on a couple of these characters makes a big difference. And I'll say, you know, the, the other character we didn't mention um, was was Dick Grayson of the new new characters that had the biggest impact. And you wait a long time to get to Dick Grayson for a story that's typically billed as, you know, the origin of Batman and Robin as a as a dynamic duo. It's funny that you mentioned that because that was definitely a, a point for me, it was that every time, and I mean every time that I read this story, I forget how long it is until <laughs> yeah, until we even mention the Graysons, till you even see anything with the Graysons on it. So I'm, I'm flipping through now. I think it's the end of chapter, yeah, the end of chapter seven, where you just see as um, Skeevers, Edward Skeevers, um, throwback to year one, and then Tony Zuko. Um, lay out the the Haley circus and the flying graysons and it's like oh my gosh that's the end of book seven i didn't know it was that long oh and then you don't even really see anything in the next chapter until then you see tickets to the circus and bruce is gonna go and so then it's basically like not even until chapter nine chapter nine of 13 we're finally introduced to dick grayson yep (laughs) yep yeah yeah, and and you got to wait a while longer for Robin, even. Yep. Um. So, it's 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 great, and you know one of the things that, um, I said, you know, I think I really like about what the book does, and why I think it's a lot more than just a very solid sequel to probably, um, you know, arguably the best, if not one of the best, um, runs on 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 Batman as a character, mm-hmm. is that it does something all its own in its emotional approach to the story that it's telling. And um, you know, I think Jeff Loeb really f- like had an idea besides, hey, let's give them more of the stuff they liked is where are these characters at the end of the long Halloween? Mm-hmm. And in a number of ways, um, I, I can't wait to listen to the episode you have on the long Halloween. But to me, the long Halloween's always been kind of a story of, you know, one of early day Batman, but it's it's one of his times when he just got his butt kicked for a while right like a yeah. lot goes wrong a lot of people die um before you get some resolution he's he he loses so much in that story and where this story picks up is this point of um hurt and isolation these characters almost almost um almost 100 of them are are in this point of where they're isolated and, and hurting and um the actions they take are almost all based on starting at that point. So there's a lot of deep emotional resonance to this story that I think it just does so wonderfully with. So I think how you just said isolation. So I think that's, that's huge in dark victory because I think that's where the three that had bonded in the long Halloween and made the deal. They all in this story feel isolated and they're on their own. And you can see that between Gordon and uh, Batman that they're, they want to just kind of do things on their own. Um, and I think waiting so long for Robin to come in, I think that's kind of a payoff of Bruce is at a, at a low point and on his own. And he keeps disappointed because of his fight on crime. It's got his personal life uh, effects in which he keeps standing up Selena. And then Selena just leaves and is just like, don't like, don't follow me. I know you can find me, but don't, um, and so he, at that point, I feel like he is on his, he is on his own and he even snaps at Alfred and, uh, Alfred has a, you know, witty responses always, but always such a great soundboard and father figure and kind of brings to the front, like you're alone. You like, you just can't be alone. Then we get to the Dick Grayson story, which is actually, and I don't know if it's in the so the paperback you sent me the picture of your of uh the paperback that you read from and that's the version I have. And I don't know if it's in in that one the introduction with Tim Sale, but he he doesn't like Robin. Yeah, it is. And he didn't want to include Robin in the story. Yeah. And I think that's I mean, had to take some convincing I'd feel from Loeb cuz Loeb can't do this story no. without Sale. And the whole theme of like the isolation and being and feeling alone was how Loeb convinced Sale we need to bring Robin into yeah, this. Yeah, I for think that. It, it explains, <clears throat> you know, the 
the the the arguing cry of every Robin hater out there is that it doesn't make any sense. You have this grounded, sort of gritty, more realistic superhero without superpowers and everything else. It just doesn't make sense that he would have this young boy as a sidekick. And um, I think this book is the one that makes the argument for yeah, it does. And here's and here's why. Um, and it's not weird and it's not, you know, a creepy thing. It doesn't have to be the the butt of jokes, um, but it really makes an argument um, about you know, the emotional state of where, you know, Bruce Wayne Batman is and why he needs someone in his life that he can take care of and help and how he needs someone to have his back and help him and form this bond form a bond, you know, kind of replacing the one that he lost with Harvey and, and also the strained relationship that he had, you know, with commissioner Gordon throughout this book too. So, um, the, the, you know, like I said, I think Loeb just does a really nice job sort of getting you to the point where now it makes sense because if you introduce Robin early, Mm -hmm. right, we said he doesn't, you know, Dick doesn't really show up till chapter nine if you introduce him too early, you don't get to make the point that Bruce is hurting, that he is, he's lonely and isolated mm-hmm. and he's lost. He's continued to lose people that are important to him in his life. So there's no real reason to feel like there need, there would be a payoff. You need to, you need to see him at that point and you need to watch him sort of travel down the path to the lowest and then have someone enter his life. Um, and he doesn't, it's not like the bonds formed right away, but there is this sort of paternal, you know, care that he wants to help provide and and save this kid that's been through tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that bond forms. Um, he, he doesn't even know he's still isolated at that point. You know, it's like, Oh yeah, Bruce is always running off. He has different plans. I never hang out with this guy. Uh, Mm -hmm. and then it's letting him in, letting, like letting Dick in, um, to his life and in showing him who he is and revealing his identity that really starts to, you know, lock these two together for which of course we know will be a, a historical friendship and partnership. Yeah. So I think I, I, something that you'd said, it made me think of, had you introduced him any earlier, it would have kind of been like, what do we do with Dick Grayson? Yeah. I'm not interested in watching Batman, and Robin or Bruce and Dick argue and Batman pulled the, like the father card and they're like, they're bickering back and forth. with like, no, I can't trust you out there. It's fine to have it. Cause I feel like in a story like, like this needs to have it, but then like speed along. Cause I don't necessarily want to continue to see back and forth. So by introducing him so late, I was always surprised to read how quickly Bruce just takes off the cowl. And it's like, hey, uh, by the way, I'm I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then it, it leaves it kind of right into of just accepting of like, hey, Dick, I'm going to train you. And that's just kind of how it is. And then Dick's training and it's not Bruce coming in and be like, no, you cannot go out there yet. You're not ready because blah, 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 over and over and over. Instead, it's just kind of like by the story's end, uh, the Batcave's invaded and Dick just steps up to it, kind of just proving himself right there. And then the very end is the the Loeb and Sale version of the Batman or the Robin swearing in ceremony in which I'm just like, I wish they would have done just even like a six issue story following this of their early their early adventures or something, you know? Yeah, that would be nice to get for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're right on Um, a point that gets missed on this is sometimes gets missed and, and, and this creative team didn't miss it is in the best versions and particularly this. And I think we've seen some different takes on it since then that have sort of um, um, jumped off what they did here. The fight comes to Dick, right? It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not that that Dick Grayson is, is out trying to superhero. He has this sort of purpose of, he wants to, he wants to think about, he wants to find out what happened to his parents. That's his mission. And, and in this, in this telling of, of, of Batman, Bruce never found out, you know, um, never found the murder of, of his parents. So there's this sort of commonality that they share. And, and it's that sort of thing that's left resolved in Bruce's life that's leading him to want to help Dick uh, or at least prepare him to, to hit the best way he can to go after this thing that Bruce has never been able to get 
you know, from a closure standpoint. Um, so it makes sense. And then when the it's it's the Batcave that's broken into, it's not it's not Bruce, it's not Batman taking a child out into the war. It's the war coming into them. And at that point, Dick responds in the way that he that he would based on his training. And, you know, this kid's got some spirit. And, and then that's, you know, that's the birth of Robin. So it's sort of like, okay, Batman would never take a child to fight this war. Okay, well, sure, I guess that's kind of a decent argument. What if the what if the war came to them? And under what under what grounds would <clears throat> Bruce think that it's okay to train a child for war? Well, if that child desperately needs the thing that Bruce was never able to get, right? So so the argument is made, not only does does Robin work uh, in a serious approach to the character, um, but it actually really pulls out some some really key aspects of Batman that um, don't always get to be highlighted that way. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> perfectly like a bow. You could probably say it shorter. It takes me a while to get to my point. No, that's good. I think that that summarizes. It's just a. It's somewhat brief, but I, I love. I just love the beginning of Batman and Robin. How it's portrayed in this story. I don't think I don't have. I don't have any complaints. I don't have a hey. Is there something that you would change? I'm like no. As as much as like you alluded to earlier of patience the story is like you got to be patient with the story um i always forget how long until robin comes in but then every time i'm rereading it too it's like nobody kind of comes in at a perfect time doesn't need to come any earlier and then those four issues that he's in it's it's just a really great jumping off point for the dynamic yeah i think some of the some of the story mechanics that jeff uh loves using in this too i think requires him uh, to come in at the point that he does, you know, for all, you know, because of the point that I, I, I argued earlier that you have to get <clears throat> Bruce emotionally down to this point where he needs help and he needs to help because of these feelings of isolation and these partnerships that have unraveled and sort of the repercussions of the long Halloween, but also just like to, to what I think about the relationship and the loss of Bruce's parents, um, the way the story is structured is around the holidays again, right? And um, you need to mm-hmm. get to Mother's Day. You need to get to Father's Day to fully feel the emotional weight of how the loss of his parents leads him to take on this young orphan boy. And if you don't get past those holidays, you don't have that thematic tie. So you got a lot of holidays to get to yeah. before you get to May and June. So, <laughs> you know, for 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 it to land the way it does and with the with the you know emotional associations of that holiday, you got a lot of story to cover first. So I think a little bit of plot mechanics or story mechanics uh, put that, you know, in the in the last quarter of the book, just by the nature of the way these stories are told. Yes, uh, and how you you just said with holiday. So I love that yet again, it's using a structure that worked before, but also mixing it up a little bit. So it's subtle that these things, that these new murders are happening on holidays. It's not the point of focus of of it, but then you start to realize, you start uh, thinking, oh, who's doing it? Uh, the reason, and it's, it's oh yeah, there it did happen. I'm, the breakout of Arkham Asylum was on Halloween and the hanging was on Halloween and then hanging this holiday, this holiday, this holiday, and all the, the plan starts to come together. But I was never able to pick up. What do you want to say? I wasn't ever able to point and be like, Ooh, that's who it is. I didn't think that it was, that it was dent because at this point he's crossed over to the other side that, I mean, why does he need to do a mysterious, oh, somebody's killing killing people. He'd just right. do it. So I, I've never had, I never had an idea. So when the killer was revealed, I'm not going to say, maybe, so instead of having a aha moment, so in the long Halloween, Holiday tried to strike, and that last panel of the second to last issue was Alberto in the, hol- like, in the, uh, the fedora or in the, or yeah, is that yeah, a fedora? I think that's a fedora. Right. Okay. Um, 
I have a computer. I could just. I am not up. a hat but connoisseur. But you, you just see, so, like, I mean, I think I just call most. <laughs> me neither. I think I, I call most hats a fedora. Yeah, it's a fedora. That's a, uh, bo- yeah, it's a, a fedora, fedora or a bowler, yeah. right? Those are like really your only two choices. Of course, um, but they had that shock and awe of like, oh man, it's it. That's who it is. And this, it's the uncovering. I think it's the last issue, even. And Batman says when he's in Gordon's office, and he's like, uh, Sophia Gigante is uh the hangman killer and then so it's like okay he just told you and then you end up seeing it later so it doesn't have that uh, aha moment so maybe that's like a a minor thing in reading is that it didn't have the big shock and yeah i agree i agree i agree with that and um you know the 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 book kind of it signals it sort of shows its cards a little bit a couple times in rereading you know the first time i read it you know trying to think back I don't think I was suspicious, but when you reread it, you're like, okay, they're telling you she's the hangman here. They're telling you she's hangman here. You know, Joker um, pushes her down the stairs in this you know wheelchair and he goes, I think you can get up, you know, like it, yeah. it, the, the, they, they, they show their hand a few times when you reread it. Um, but, you know, initially I think they were, it was clever and I don't think readers probably, they didn't see it televised or, you know, um, I don't think people saw it a, a mile away or anything like that, but you're right. It doesn't land the same way that, because you're sort of told you're not really shown you're shown, you're there told you then you're shown. And it should have it, a big, like what moment? Cause up all of this, she's in her wheelchair. Like right. she fell off of a roof. We all thought she was dead, but no, she's and, not dead. She's just And paralyzed. that's the funny thing because the book did all that legwork. It, it took time. It made that breathe. Like it, not only did it plant the seeds, it watered those seeds, it let the things grow, it trimmed off, you know, the little branches that weren't going to grow right. Like you had to, you really had to play the long game. And then they played it so well. And at the end, they're like, oh, 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 oh and she's the holly killer. Like, just like, what? Can you say that again louder? She's, she's yeah. the killer. Like, okay, could you show me that though? Oh, fine. Oh, yeah, you're right. Here you go. Here she is. Like, <laughs> thank you. That would have been nice the first time. Yeah. I mean, so but that's, I, I have, I really, I tried thinking about this before, you know, we, I was thinking like, what am I going to talk about with, with Ryan here? And um, I'm like, okay, so I love this book. Mm-hmm. Where are the nits? How can I pick it? How can I be, play a little bit of devil's advocate? And that was really, you know, one of the only things that could come to mind is that the, the, the villain reveal is built up and not really delivered. Yep. I'm with you. And it, and it's the book's so dense that you could, I don't know. I don't like going on a mission. It's only because uh, to find something. So I get that. But also it's like, well, I want to present they because it's not like every, anything is 100% absolute perfect. You can find something like, ah, oh, there's, there's one change is have a big reveal of who the hangman killer is. Uh, but I still, I, I liked that it was her. Totally. I think that it, it fit with the story of, like she's she's following in her dad's footsteps, like in a sense, and trying to um she's kind of trying to save the mob. She's also trying to erase Dent because Dent's the one who killed her dad. So it's like there's a good continuing connection to the previous story. Uh and I like so as she is trying to protect the mob, what's left of it? The long Halloween, I'd said in the in the episode of kind of like the the end of it was the freaks have taken over because Harvey Dent has turned in a sense kind of into the freak and he killed the head mob symbolizing in a sense of like the mob doesn't run this anymore. And I think that Loeb and Sale salvaged what they could of the mob and said, no, the mob's still kind of a threat. And this story just kind of, kind of totally eradicates that. And I'm kind of glad. Because like it's it's told well of kind of it's a good year one mob corruption year two infiltrating of the freaks and year three the freaks are yes. like I keep calling them no, freaks no, they, but the you know what I mean the rogues yeah. have taken over <clears throat> no you're absolutely right it's such a good point Laura I'm really glad I'm really glad you made it because then I I uh, I didn't have to to do the long version of that but I you know, <laughs> th- these this book. It is um, in some ways as much of the origin of the rogues gather gallery being the um, dominating 
threat to Gotham and Batman as it is the origin of Robin, because just for all those reasons, it's the it's the death of the old mob in Gotham and it's the rise of the freaks. It's the 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 the, the rogues and the villains. Um, but I think that's also what makes this these books. So Dark Victory, I think, kind of puts the the its last final nail in the coffin. Um, they're the bridge books between year one and what was going on in Batman books um, in the, in the core line yeah. in Batman and detective and still where we have them, right. Where they've been forever. Mm-hmm. This year one was the, was the mobster and corrupt police officers uh, and everything else. And then <clears throat> how we get from what that book was to what we know of, of typically being Batman and, and who he fights mm-hmm. and how that war has changed from, you know, simple crime or organized crime to super villains these books kind of help fill in that gap, right? Yep. Explaining mm-hmm. well, how did we get to where Absolutely. we are if that's where we started. Now I want to touch on uh, Janice Porter and Mario Falcone. Since it's, since we just talked about Sophia and Mob, Mario Falcone comes in. Um, I don't have Long Halloween on me to see. You know how they – I always loved looking just as resource, a resource. Like in – they have it here too at the back of the book, kind of like the Mob all on one page. And it's in in Gordon's office and connecting this right. one to that one and all of that. I don't know if Mario was on that picture in the long Halloween. Uh, his inclusion here, obviously because of his last name, you're you don't trust him. We're like, oh, he's evil, but he's on a mission to rid to rid the negativity, the corruption attached to his the family name. And I think. I think I, I end up rooting for him through the whole story. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, And he's the one you really have this at the end. <clears throat> excuse me. Obviously, you know, you have uh, young Dick Grayson who's lost his parents. But you see Mario at the end of the book uh, having burned down his family estate and lost all his mm-hmm. family. You know, it's brother to his sister's hand. And um, it's just you feel for the guy because you, you understand the whole time and you're skeptical of him during the book too. He was trying to clean up his family's name. And, um, that's a good image too. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And and we cannot say, I think it's kind of hard to, to say enough about Tim sales artwork here. It's just Mm -hmm. so fantastic. And how he uses, um, shadow and darks and black backgrounds and what emerges from the backgrounds and how that highlights part of the story that's being told. It's just fantastic. And to see him, you know, hands in front of his face, you know, tears in his eyes while the house is ablaze behind, behind him on one of the closing panels. It's, it's spectacular, but what's good about Mario, I think is what's good about this entire book. And it's this kind of storytelling one one a lot, but, um, Stories are great when the storytellers have a firm grasp on what the characters' needs are. In reading this book, you know where these characters are and what their needs are. And most of them are coming from a place of they need human connection. And where things are rough, it's because they don't have that human connection. You see it with Bruce and Selena. You see it with Jim and Barbara Gordon. Um, you see it with you know Bruce and Alfred. You see it with, mm-hmm. with Mario and wanting to have... Um, relationships and respect and connections with the community that aren't marred by, you know, the, the criminal back, uh, backstory of his family. Um, and, and also, um, you know, just, just where we get to the end of the story, obviously with, with Dick and, um, Bruce needing to have someone in his life and Dick needing someone to help him move through tragedy and trauma. So, this need for human relationships and to have human connection and have respect from other people is basically what fuels this entire story. And it just thematically works so well together. And his human connection that we find later on in the story is with this other new character, Janice Porter. Oh yeah. There's a lot of human connecting going on there. There's, there's a lot of human connecting going on there. Uh, Who were suspect at the beginning of the story of, Oh, this is the opposite of what Harvey Dent was to to Gordon in previous books. And oh, she's going to be in a sense, she's going to kind of be the villain. And like, why is she trying to, in a sense, release Alberto? So instantly we're pegged of like, we don't like this woman. 
And then as the story kind of goes on a little bit, her relationship with Gordon uh, evolves and becomes a little bit more of like, hey, we're on the same side. And so then I, you start to root for her. And then something kind of snaps. And when Batman shows up at a crime scene and stuff, she starts to devolve, I guess. I don't know. I got, I don't know how to describe it. Like I just, I stop rooting for her too. And then it, you come to find out that she played an important, she's another one that all of her actions are kind of revealed at the end. And she was much more, a much bigger part of the story than we'd realized as we were reading it. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about <clears throat> what's driving her and motivating her as the story progresses. And then looking back, um, that's a really, this is, this is a story that I think you get so much more out of it when you read it a second time, a third time, a fourth time to, to say, okay, now that we know this, what, what were we being told earlier that we didn't really understand we were being told. And, uh, Porter is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. And so I, it was kind of I love the mystery that they that they paced with her too. another it, it, it wasn't an instant reveal. It, it worked up to a payoff of she comes in and you don't know what her motivations are for releasing Alberto. But then I think you can kind of presenting with an open an open mind of like, I guess if she's so um, in love with the law and lives by the law, I could have seen this point of view for her actions with Alberto. And then she ends up with, with working with Gordon on everything. It's like, okay, that makes sense. But then there's a, a figure that she that's, that's in shadows that's speaking. And you don't necessarily, you don't know who it is. You don't know who it is here. And then I don't know if she climbs into bed or the shadow climbs into bed with her. Yeah. And it, it, it really works of, of course, obviously after you read it the first time, you know who it is um, every reread. But then there is such a, I think, a great reveal of last, a last page of an issue, and there's the reveal of, oh, it's, oh, it's Harvey, right? Huh? Well, what is, what's going on here besides the obvious? Well, and you know, in, it's funny because you have the, <clears throat> the obvious human relating that's happening uh, with with uh -huh. some of your uh, steamy bedroom shots in the book. Um, <laughs> And then once you get to, to know her backstory and understand, you know, when she uh, was at what Gotham University and then transferred to Harvard and had met a young associate law or assistant law professor named Harvey Dent and she transferred when he got married and um, there's this sort of long-standing desire of hers to be with Harvey Dent to the point that she's willing to, you know, become corrupted by Two-Face and, um, you know, all the way to the end. And I, I assume, Lauer, all these are, we're just full-on spoilers, right? Um, when, yeah, yeah. When, I revealed who Hangman yeah, that's was. That's a really good point. We're good. We're good. <laughs> I don't need to worry about people feeling like, oh, he. No. I didn't want to know that Two-Face kills Porter, but, you know, Two-Face kills Porter and says uh, Harvey Dent is a married man. You know, like... Harvey Dent was having this relationship <laughs> with her and manipulating her and getting what he wanted from her because of her need, her desire to be um, with Harvey. Two-Face was taking advantage of that, but it wasn't really mm -hmm. Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent still only loves Gilda. And um, you, know, you, see, mm -hmm. you see her picture up on his uh, sewer desk uh, or sewer office desk and everything. So just like, again, the human connection and, and where are people tethered and where do people where are people in this story sort of off loose without a tether and how does the story kind of pull everyone back into a, a little bit more of a, of a nucleus of having, having support and having partnerships reestablished and having families reunited. Um, and then poor, you know, Janice gets, uh, she gets the roughest treatment of anybody, uh, anybody else that isn't just sort of like a, a bad guy, corrupt cop. And that like, that's another, I feel like that's, I don't want to say like, oh man, didn't see that coming. That was, that was pretty brutal. Oh yeah. Uh, there wasn't a second, a second's hesitation and bam, just shot her. Right. Like, nope, that's it to where, Hey, if you, if for some reason at this point you had any hope that there's humanity left in Harvey Two-Face, like, no, that's, 
it's <laughs> nope. No. <laughs> like he's no. crossed over to the other side, used her used her for his own gain, and then he got rid right. of her. And then I love <laughs> I love the Hey, we can't forget about the Godfather. So let's definitely allude to it and let's throw her body at the foot of Alberto's right. bed so he wakes up to it screaming. Like uh that was as I mean, as morbid as this sounds, like, oh that's cool. Oh yeah. No, it was <laughs> as a fun little nod. And it um Yeah, obviously the reference materials there. And then just trying to, you know, go and try and convince this person that you know, he's crazy and he's murdered someone again and bring him to the point of breaking when he's really, you know, his his thing is um, trying to deal with the fear uh, that's come into his life. And we find out later that, you know, part of the scarecrow is partly responsible with fear toxin laced cigarettes. Um, just mm-hmm. a nasty habit. Uh, and very and nasty. so it's like it's this cool homage to to the Godfather, but it it starts moving that part of the story lo- uh, line along as well. So, um, you know, it was a it was a very uh, abrupt death for Janice, but one that really kind of served um, a pretty good storyline service. Yes, it did. And so I know that we've talked kind of like talked a lot about like side characters, but I don't think it's, it's inarguable that this is a Batman story. I think we definitely to tell such like a, a big thematic story, you're, you've got to have multiple plots going, going on and uh, following along and evolving and developing, but we're always brought back to Batman. And there's, there's quite a few shots of him in the suit, but taking off the cowl. Um, which I kind of always think there's always something there when Bruce, because when he's back at the Batcave, it's like, why does he need to keep the mask on? Um, unless he's like using it as in some form to, to help him be in, to be true, keep the mask on. But then it, there's always just something telling. And I've always been drawn to when Bruce doesn't have the cowl on, but he still has the rest of the suit on. And I think that there's a lot of that in here to try so that sale can kind of capitalize on like Bruce's facial emotions and, and, and stuff too, to, to develop the isolation that we keep coming back to and his loneliness. And I think it's very telling that this is a deep Batman story. Oh yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's primarily, you know, I don't know. I go back and forth on this sometimes, but the, the, the prevailing school of thought is always that like the difference between Batman and Superman is, um, you know, Clark is the mask with Superman and Bruce is the mask with Batman. And I think that's just like mm-hmm. so simplified and, and played out because I think in a number of ways, this is really a, this is really a Bruce Wayne story. And of course there's the real Bruce and the false Bruce. And, you know, you could write a mm-hmm. high school essay on how there's really four characters within Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, but like, this is a, a Bruce Wayne story just to see, to see Bruce because we're coming from the place of Bruce Wayne's loss um, it's his parents when he was a child. It was the relationships that he built as 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 Batman, but Batman exists to, to fulfill the loss or to avenge the loss of Bruce. So when you see him in in the costume, but the cowl's down, and it's you, it's Batman hasn't just become a character of himself yet, right? Like this is, I think there's some mm-hmm. stories that get into the, you know, I'm Batman and I'm dark and I'm dark because I'm Batman and I'm always Batman because I'm so dark because I'm Batman. And this yeah. is like, <laughs> you know, like this is I'm Bruce and 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 I am Batman because of the trauma that I have had as Bruce. And so I like to see mm-hmm. some Bruce and Sale draws such a great Bruce Wayne, like 1930s, you know, kind of hunked up a little bit more hulked out uh, 30s movie star, but kind of classically uh, old school, handsome, you know rough around the edges, good looking, not, not slick, pretty boy, you know, playboy billionaire, but just sort of a little bit, um, a bit more old school macho boxer, Bruce Wayne that I think you just, I think it has a great design on that character. So it's, I like seeing, I like seeing a little more Bruce and not just the cowl all the time, but I also don't want it to be like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies where it's like, Oh, he's got to take off the mask again. There's Toby. Hey, Toby. (laughs) It's gotta be a good balance. Uh, you alluded to like Playboy Bruce and just real quick, it made me think of um, for the year one episode with Pete, uh, Vera, another Batboy brethren. Um, we we talked about the one scene of uh, 
in year one that Gordon goes to Wayne Manor and Bruce is totally living up to the Playboy lifestyle. And it's almost like that is, uh, that's not, we don't, that's absent in the long Halloween. Yeah. Cause he is, he is the, the good guy and it's established right at the beginning with the whole bank, uh, Falcone money situation and stuff with Bruce there. But there's just, it's struck me rereading this dark victory when um, Mario, the Falcone penthouse uh, gets shot up by the Joker and Bruce is in there with a couple of other people. And it's just a one line of Bruce saying, I've got a jet fueled and guests waiting for a trip down to Rio. And I just thought, I don't know if I ever spent any time on that or just glossed over it or what before, but it's like that it could, I guess in a sense, be out of character, but we're so used to, Oh yeah. Bruce Wayne, he's got this uh, playboy, front that he's putting on at times and right. like there's just one small case of him just a little line of of acting yeah you know yeah you don't <laughs> get a lot thing, but you don't get a lot in this i and that it's so funny you mentioned that because that line stood out to me too i'm like oh there it is because otherwise you get yeah. you get like real bruce in this bruce in in all aspects seems to be being seems to be his true self with selena in or in mm-hmm. in all their interactions yeah um He's he's always himself with Alfred. Uh, he's a little bit guarded and distant with Dick, but he's not putting on an act with Dick. So I, I like seeing true Bruce a lot. You can have fun with fake Bruce, public Bruce, but true Bruce, um, I really appreciate. So yeah, that little line was just a little bit like, oh yeah, that's right. He still does those things. Like publicly, he still he still has this cover. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't real prevalent in in this in the storyline at all. I don't like Playboy Bruce just because it's always so uncomfortable. Uncomfortable to me isn't necessarily funny. So it's kind of like, even though it's like in begins, it's played so well. Like it serves its purpose. It's done well and it's good. But, but like even at the end, his, his speech to get everybody out of the, out of the manor. Oh yeah. I kind of want to just fast forward this. It's so uncomfortable, but in the same way, Playboy Bruce isn't my, go ahead. I'm super like, no, just with movies quickly, like my empathy level for characters is so high. Like I am a, I am a feeler. I'm a sensitive dude. And, um, <laughs> and when like Ben Stiller movies are so horribly uncomfortable for me, like, Oh my gosh, please don't. Like, yeah. I feel so bad for the character. So you're right. When, yeah. uh, when, <laughs> when Bruce is given the speech about like, you know, hanging about and drinking my booze, your fake friends. Yeah. just like, Oh God. So I feel so uncomfortable for how awkward that room must feel. Ah. This is totally fictitious. And I've seen this scene how many times, but <laughs> yeah. I'm still feeling cringy. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Okay. Whew. I'm not alone. Uh, so let's start to wrap this beast up. I think we've, uh, we've picked it. We've picked it clean. Indeed. Uh, do you have a, do you have a favorite, um, do you have a favorite moment? Oh, I and then do. do you have a favorite like panel? I do. They're the same. Um, and it's, I think it's, um, there's a number, like, I just love this book. So when you asked what I want to talk about, this was the one that jumped to mind because I don't think it gets as much love as it deserves. Um, but my mm-hmm. favorite part, I think it's just so well crafted and so beautiful, um, is in chapter nine. And there's a scene where Dick is feeling alone and lonely and is going through the manor and walks into um, Bruce's uh, parents' room. And um, it is it is mirrored on the other side of the double page with Bruce as a child going into his room looking for some comfort after his parents have died. And they both pick up Mar- Martha's hairbrush and um, Alfred comes in and finds both of them and talks to them and gives them... Uh, very similar messages and it's just so well done and so well drawn and written and it gives you the emotional tie and connection between these two characters it's yeah for as much as bruce and dick are different they come from the same place and they share the same trauma and they're working through the same thing and this that part of, of this book just plays that so well and creates it and puts it you know right in front of the reader that it stands out every time i go through this one Bravo. I'd say for my favorite part, that'd be my favorite part. Cause I do love how it mirrors, uh, mirrors off of each other. And then as well as the, the Bruce version and almost like the foggy, the foggy style right. yeah. that it's done in and like the shading and stuff, it just looks, 
it looks awesome but yeah i love that whole little part so my favorite panel and i think this is the weirdest thing is a small panel first panel of a of a nine panel page in chapter one at the breakout of arkham asylum and it's the first one and it just says arkham asylum it's got the shade or not the shade the shadow of a tree and a pumpkin at the bottom i am a sucker for imagery i love halloween i love kind of eerie creepy settings like in the visual power and like my imagination goes wild with seeing it and so just it's that small panel and i'm like oh my gosh i love it halloween it so weird in a in a book full of such good art that tim sale even said he thought this book's art was better than long halloween uh and i picked the one that doesn't have any characters or anything in it but i think that is like it's just got that tree those tree branches kind of in front of the sign right yeah, that's a great panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it's really that's really cool. But then it's also striking because I love the Falcone estate. Um, the establishing shots of that all the time. It's just the the lone house on a cliff. Uh, that's always to me like that's always really cool to look at. So that's just pure on a visual standard. It's not like it has much uh, essence to the story. But yeah, the the Dick Bruce mirror scene, I think plays a lot and really strikes like an emotional chord. So, uh, amen. It's a good one. Go read it. There you go. So, Hey, dark victory. Yep. Go read it again. Go read it again. Uh, do you have anything left that you haven't said about dark victory? That you'd like to say? I don't think so. I don't think so. If I, if we go any more deep, um, we're going to end up recording for another hour and I just have too many children to, to be able to do that on a Saturday. Although I, I would enjoy it because there is, there's, this is a, this is a very dense book. There's a lot of great stuff going on. Uh, go check it out. You need to read it. You need to read it again. I couldn't agree more. I think um, it's not, to me, I, I hate this phrasing. So why am I going to say it? I don't know because I don't know how else to say it. I don't think it's as good as The Long Halloween. But it's about as close as you can get to a perfect follow-up for such a highly regarded story. Kind of like I think people that just love yeah. and adore Dark Knight Returns, in a sense, year one was a follow-up to that. And I think that's a good... that That should have pleased... It should have pleased lovers of that story and lovers of year one here. Oh, long Halloween's kind of a sequel. I think that's a great follow up. I think it just follows a really good pattern here of these stories or they really build upon what came before. And I think it can stand on its own, but it's just kind of like, but it doesn't need to read the long Halloween, then read dark victory right after it's, it's just, it's a really good, it's just a really good story. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's good enough that I, it would be worth picking up and being confused if some for some reason you didn't have access to the long Halloween. But it is it's such a great companion piece and, and it, it's it's a great, great sequel that is good enough to exist on its own as well. And if they ever do the long Halloween in an animated oh, form, yes. they should definitely do Dark Victory. After yep, it. For sure. Just say for sure. Just say yep. So, That's a fact. Well, Garrett Grev, do you uh, have anything to plug? Do you want to tell people where they can read your magnificent words and hear your lovely voice oh, and all that? Oh, that's very kind. Very kind of you. Um, I am um, reviewing Justice League uh, over at Batman on Film. If you'd like to read my reviews, you can do that. I also uh, am allegedly reviewing Batman Superman. I've fallen behind on my reviews and Bill has been very gracious with me being behind, but I am, I'm looking to get caught up on that. And my wife and I welcomed a new baby a couple months ago and it has been difficult to keep balance. Um, so you can read some stuff for me over there, show up on uh, the podcast over there as well. Uh, and then if you'd like to follow me uh, on Twitter, uh, you can do that. Uh, I'm at Garrett, G A R R E T. Uh, at Garrett Wado, so G A R R E T W A T O, uh, and yeah, I talk about um, Batman and Superman and uh, He Man and a lot of football. So it's a weird account because of the mixtures, but um, you know, hopefully you like it. If not, you, you can stop following me, but come check me out and first. Just keep scrolling, yeah, because oh, I'll get about football. Scroll, yeah, yeah. If, if I get, uh, don't worry. If it's just like, oh man, this dude's doing a lot of football talk. Just wait, it'll get nerdy. I promise. <laughs> also i i applaud that you are being an adult 
and you are taking care of the baby first instead of nerding out. But I think it's in the uh, parent new parenting bylaws. The baby gets about three months of that, and then it needs to just know its place. Right. So yeah, figure it out, baby. All the- exactly. Yeah. Hey, three months. You know, you've chunked up a little bit. Yep. Daddy's got some nerding to do. I got to talk. I got to talk to the back guys. And, and we'll have some, uh, we've got a number of Batman baby books, as you can imagine. So maybe we'll get them on a podcast here. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't have a baby, but. Oh, sure. Big board books. It doesn't yep, matter. Some great ones. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't matter. All right. Well, thanks, buddy. Well, thank for you for having on. me. Yeah, this was a joy. I never, I never get to talk about the uh, Dark Victory. And maybe it's out there, but I haven't come across no. people talking about it and so not that it's not that it's never talked about but like in a to be able to listen to a podcast where they they pick apart dark victory or anything so this is this is a lot of fun to revisit and and talk about it so uh, thanks for being on thank you <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> okay. so that'll do it and uh yet again if you want to follow uh, Batman Book Club on Twitter for when new episodes are going to be dropping and what to read next. You can follow Batman Book Club on Twitter at the Batman BC. And again, you can also email for questions, comments, reviews, recommendations, uh, give Garrett some parenting advice or anything Batman related at the Batman BC at gmail.com. And lastly, you can follow me on Twitter at flower underscore Ryan. Flower spelled like flower. Basically, all of my tweeting is about Batman. So there you go you won't have to keep scrolling you can just read my words so once again thanks again to garrett greb from minnesota and thanks for listening